And one of the things I want to speak to you this morning, and we're going to, for those of you that are coming to Lakeside all the time, we're going to take a break from Galatians. I'm going to leave that for Paul to continue when he returns. And I want this morning just to share a couple of things that are they're kind of on my heart and mind that relate to our ministry at Mediba and kind of show you and tell you a little bit about that and maybe even challenge you in your thinking in, in how you reach out to others who don't know the Lord, who don't maybe believe at this point in time. In those uh, various programs that I mentioned, um, some of them, like summer camp, are predominantly unchurched. Like we have probably 60% depends on the week, 70% of the kids that come to our summer camp are not from a church background. And that's great. That's what we want. Now, that's a bit tricky. You know, we are a Christian camp, and we're trying to have opportunities to share with these kids who Jesus is and what that's all about. And yet at the same time, we've got to somehow be able to I don't know, convince or or have parents and kids have a sense that it's a safe enough place to come to, to be a part of for a week or two and to enjoy that and have an openness to want to be able to hear some of those things. And so that's a bit of a challenge, as you can imagine. It would be far easier to just run a Christian camp for Christians, right? We'd be much more homogeneous in all the things we believe and like and do and all that behave, all that kind of stuff. So... So there's a bit of a challenge there, but that's a challenge we're willingly stepping into. It's a bit messy, to be to be sure. Certainly within our school program, there's a lot of challenges there in our ability to be able to minister, and in particular, a lot of our ministry has to be very silent and more visual, and we look for opportunities to minister. We look for opportunities, and hopefully people are asking questions, and we get invited into a discussion, because we can't, in many ways certainly with the Christian schools and even with the, uh, the uh, separate school board, we're able to be a little more proactive in our sharing, but in the public system, certainly not, but still look for those opportunities. Uh, and so in a lot of the things that, that we're doing, we, we have and find ourselves in this place where we have a lot of people who are with us, but they're different in terms of their beliefs. They're different in terms of where they're at in their journey in terms of their uh, Christianity and those kinds of things. And so it's a bit of a challenging spot to be. But someone's got to be in those challenging places because we have to see the unchurched and those that don't believe come to some kind of sense of that there is a Savior, that they need a Savior, and that hopefully they can accept that and perhaps make Him their Savior themselves. And so this is sort of where this uh, message is, is coming from in terms of uh, some of the ideas. And I've entitled it Unconditional Love and Evangelism. It's not the greatest title, but hopefully it gives a bit of an idea of where we're going to go this morning in terms of connecting with people and reaching people for the gospel. Let me just pray, and then we'll, we'll jump into some scripture and go from there. Father, we thank you again for this time this morning. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ. We've been singing about him and his love this morning, and we're grateful for the incredible example and, and a, a sense of what love really means. And we have a lot of different definitions of that in our culture. And so, Father, we just pray that uh, as we look in your word, as we think about some ideas this morning, that you would just bless our time and, and cause us to be just considering some of our thoughts and uh, just the way we 
perceive things and we just uh, commit that to you and that ultimately, Father, your kingdom would be impacted to the positive as a result of what happens here this morning. So we commit that to you in Jesus' name. So I want to start and look at a couple of quick, really, stories uh, where Jesus interacts with some people. And I don't have time to read them all uh, just because of uh, the length of some of them, and, and I'm trusting that a lot of you are going to be fairly familiar with some of these stories. So in uh, starting in John 4, we have um, the story of um, the Samaritan woman at the well. And uh, again, all these stories are Jesus interacting with people that were very different, uh, didn't believe, or had some different kind of social standing or something. And so I've kind of tried to find some passages that would just give us a bit of a window into how Jesus deals with those people and in those situations. And so beginning with the Samaritan woman at the well, um, of course, it's a fairly long story in Scripture. Um, But basically, Jesus is is sitting at the well, and the disciples have gone off to get food in a nearby, nearby town. In verse 7, it says, When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? And the Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? And in parenthesis here, there's, For for the Jews do not associate with Samaritans. And then Jesus goes on to answer her and confuse her a little bit, which we know from Scripture, Jesus says and challenges people in some interesting ways, and he's talking about something that's completely different but related to what's going on. And he says, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who asked you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. And she doesn't, what, really? Um, And uh, it goes on to, uh, Jesus has a conversation with her. Um, and, And in verse 15, he says, The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. So still not understanding. And he says, will you go and call your husband? And then the story gets more interesting. Uh, I don't have a husband. Um, he says, well, you're right. When you say you have no husband, the fact is you've had five husbands, and the man you're with now is not your husband, and it goes on. And so we, we're starting to see there's some, some pretty big differences in terms of um, life and, and where they're at. And uh, he goes on, uh, and as we get towards the, the end of the passage, um, Jesus basically reveals to her who he is. And, and they've kind of got to a point where she's asking and at a point where she's willing to hear that. So, so that's, a, that's a bit of a quick overview uh, of the woman of the well. And then we have the story of the lepers, and I, I'm going to use that one too, uh, which, uh, again, is a short excerpt. And there's, these are not the only references uh, to these stories in the Gospels, and you can look at others if you want, but I'm just using a few of them here this morning. In uh, Luke 17:11. Uh, Jesus on his way to Jerusalem, between, passing between, uh, or on the border between Samaria and Galilee, and as he's going to a village, ten men who had leprosy met him, and they stood at a distance. Uh, and, and if you're aware of what all the rules were around leprosy, you had to stand far away from the people, you had to dress a certain way, and you had to shout out that you were unclean, uh, just to make sure that people would avoid you. A horrible um, social uh, as well as the physical issue, a horrible social uh, issue that you'd had to deal with as well. 
And they call out to him and they ask him to have pity on him. And he responds and he says, go and show yourselves to the priests. That's all he says. And uh, verse 15, one of them, when he saw he was healed, came back praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. So again, we see this Samaritan again. And again, Samaritans and Jews are, yeah, there's some real long-standing issue, cultural issues, spiritual issues, all kinds. It's not a, they're not friends. And of course, Jesus is a Jewish person. So you get the idea. And Jesus asked, we're not all ten cleansed. Where are the other nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. So that's, a again, story of the lepers. Um, now we're at uh, the woman caught in adultery. This is John 8, 1 to 11. Let's go there for a second. And Jesus uh, is out and about and... Um, Basically, there's this kerfuffle that's going on. And uh, Jesus, uh, the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery and uh, made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. And the law of Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. Now what do you say? And, of course, they're trying to catch Jesus, understand who Jesus is. trying to They're really trying to understand this whole new paradigm of thinking that Jesus is bringing to them. And... Um, and they were using the question as a trap. That's verse 6. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. And when they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and he said to them, If any one of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw stones at her. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. I'm sure many of us, like me, I am really curious to one day find out what he wrote on the ground. Because all... Uh, at this, those who heard and began sorry who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, uh, until only Jesus was left with the woman uh, still standing there, and Jesus straightened up and asked her, "Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said, then neither do I uh, condemn you. Jesus declared, "Go now and leave your life of sin so that 's the Another interaction where we see Jesus. And then finally, the last one, really quickly, is uh, Jesus interacting with little children. And I'm using the Mark 10, 13 to 16. Uh, again, you'll be familiar with this. But people were bringing little children to Jesus to have him touch them. But the disciples rebuked him. And when Jesus saw this, uh, he was indignant. And he said to them, Let the ch- little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. I tell you the truth, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God is like a little child and will never, like a little child will never enter it. And he took the, chi- the children in his arms, uh, put his hands on them and blessed them. So, these are four real quick little stories that I just wanted to kind of launch off of to start to talk about some of the things. So the first thing, I, I have a few observations that I want to, I want to share with you about these four stories. And, and I'm going to just be pulling some principles and ideas and, and observations out of the different ones. The, the first part is that when it came to belief, so we look at all the various people in our stories and, and the various beliefs that we had, uh, we had people that didn't believe in God, didn't believe in Jesus, certainly didn't believe in the, in the traditional sense that we would understand. Uh, we had people that believed something completely different, like the Samaritans. We perhaps could say we had some people that were very disillusioned with faith, maybe God and the church. Now, 
at that time, if you became a leper, it was really a challenge because it would seem like, where is God, where is the church, because now I have to go and live outside the city by myself, away from family. I have, like, just some bizarre. So I'm sure there'd be some disillusionment with, wait, what? Where's God in the midst of this? Um, we had people that would completely, or people in our story that completely rejected a belief in God and, and live however they wanted. And of course, we have the women at the well and we get a picture into her story, her history. Uh, and perhaps, who knows, the first Samaritan woman, uh, sorry, the woman caught in adultery and then oh, perhaps the first Samaritan woman, we don't know much about uh, her life, but the fact that she was Samaritan would likely mean a completely different belief structure And then we had, and I threw this little story in with the children, then we had those who were not mature and certainly not developed in their faith. And I'm using the children's story kind of as as an example of that. And so we have these things. we got people that believe something different. They're disillusioned, perhaps did believe and now don't or don't understand. we got people that are completely rejecting. So they they just are going and doing something completely different proactively. And, And then we have, you know, people that are just in various stages of their spiritual journey. And it's interesting because when I think about and see some of these observations in the stories, it, if you're like me, you look around and you realize there's all kinds of people nowadays that I rub shoulders with, that live beside me, work with me, whatever your situation is, that fit into these categories. And so there's some, there's some context there in terms of Jesus dealing with people who have really very similar situations and and circumstances to what we deal with and live with and work with in our wherever our situation is. And they represent our current culture as much as they did the culture of that day. Then some observations about behavior. They did not behave according to Scripture, these people that we were finding, or perhaps we could say did not behave within the acceptable societal or whatever norms of that day, whether they be church or or whatever. And so we had religious behavior. Uh, Back then, of course, we saw a Samaritan woman. They would have believed in other gods and they would have lived like pagans. And we see some of the, you know, the, the results of that in the stories that we read. And nowadays I ask the question about religious behavior. How do we view and associate with others from different religions and faith that have very different religious behavior than, than we do? And certainly in our society, in our culture here in, in Canada, and certainly in Ontario, uh, we're starting to have more and more and more people from different faith backgrounds who now come and live and are part of our culture, part of our society. And uh, how do we how do we... How do we view them? How do we associate? How do we think about that? Class and culture was another uh, thing I wanted to mention. The lepers is a, a great example for that, I think. Uh, they became social outcasts, and it was believed that uh, uh, you would jeopardize your own health to associate with them. So there just got to be, the, and they were Jewish people. They could have been of any cultural standing, but as soon as you became a leper, you're out. And that's a fascinating just thing just to think about and what that meant for that group of people or that class of people, so to speak, that became sort of their own class and how people related or didn't relate to them and the challenge with that. And it makes me wonder nowadays really how much that story that we we see about leprosy in the Bible over and over again, how much of that is speaking to us about culture and those kinds of things as much as it is health uh, and how we view people who 
are very different socially and very different culturally uh, in that regard. And so that's a, an interesting thing to get us thinking about. And then we have immoral living, just plain and simple. It's not necessarily based on a different belief system. It's just people are living a hedonistic life however they want. And we see the woman caught in adultery perhaps uh, represents this. Um, and how do, how, do we, how do we relate and deal with people that just live their lives how they want for themselves or whatever and have a completely different moral code than, than we do? And then we have demographic differences, and that's um, you know, represented in the story of the little children. And the, the, just this, if, if we could see the Facebook video, if there ever was, if they had videos back then, I'm sure it would have made Facebook where... All these people are trying to deal with the children and get them away. And Jesus completely astounds them and has a paradigm shift and says, no, no, let's bring the little children into this adult situation. <laughs> and I actually want to be with them and I want to hold them and I want to bless them. And, and uh, we, we see back in that time uh, the culture of children were kept in the back and kept to the side and so on. And that kind of represents this idea, I think, Nowadays, do we truly cherish children and youth? Certainly, um, but also those who are perhaps immature in their faith or immature in their their behavior, uh, and who still have lots to learn and lots to to move forward. But again, we often too get caught up on um, all kinds of things that we see that these childish children might represent in our story. Everything from people's hairstyles to whether they have tattoos to piercings to whether they wear a hat. Uh, in a church and in all these kind of things these behaviors sometimes get in the way of us really welcoming them and you know like jesus did so an interesting an interesting uh, just reflection on that so we've got a lot of different things that hopefully we're trying to see through all these stories in terms of jesus dealing with people with different faiths people jesus dealing with different immoral behavior that's represented in the lives of these people uh, different class and culture, there's health issues, there's, there's all kinds of things that are represented. And then we have like the children and we have this, this immaturity perhaps. And, and, and so it's interesting because in many ways these people just didn't behave you know, the way that perhaps Jesus ultimately would love to see them behave. And, 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 and yet he still interacted with them even though in, in their behavior that would have been different and difficult. You see, because we, I, it's way easier for me to be with people that are like me and that believe like me and that think like me. And it's just easy to be with those people. And the people that don't believe like me and don't behave like me, don't think like me, it's more difficult because we don't have as much homogeneousness in terms of, you know, being together. There's just so many differences. Yet in our stories here, Jesus seems to just step into that. It's, it's this idea that it's messy. And I started this morning talking about our ministry at Medeba and how we have these people coming from all these different backgrounds and we're bringing them together. And it's, it's a little bit messy because we're not all the same in what we believe, in our behaviors, in our understandings, our perceptions, and how we think about things. And, and that presents a challenge. But here's Jesus and how he responds, and he responds in what I would say unconditional love. 
Um, he speaks and associates with these, these people. The woman at the well, for example. He loves and displays compassion for the lepers. He loves and displays compassions for the lepers, even though he knows nine of them are not coming back. He suspends judgment of, of the person and defends them. And we see the, the woman caught in adultery. And he loves and accepts the children where they were in their understanding and their immaturity. Willingly, just does those things. Now there's me. Here's, here's me. <laughs> Maybe it's you. I struggle with the behavior of those that are not following what Scripture has to say. It's, it's a challenge. Um, you know, I, I might ignore the margina- marginalized. I, I don't associate with, with those that just are not in the same faith that I'm a part of. I'm uncomfortable with these differences of religious, demographic, class, whatever those things are. I, I'll be honest, I'm uncomfortable with those things. It's way more comfortable to be with people that are like me. And I'm sure that's the same for you. But I'm never going to reach someone who's not like me if I don't step into their world. Because they're not going to change to be like me in order to hear what I have to say in most cases. And this is, this is, this is the challenge and why we are at Mediva where we are. We're not trying to be something. It's okay, you got to behave or you got to believe something and then you can come. That, might be easier for us and we'd be more comfortable, but they're not going to do that and that's not going to happen. And so therefore we have this unreached world who maybe in evangelical church ministry in years past we would try and always, you know, well, you could be bring them to church, bring them to church. They're not coming to church because it's so foreign to them. The, the behaviors that go on here, the things that we believe, it's just so weird and strange that... It doesn't work, and yet we just—that seems to be a bit of our model, and so it's—it's—it's it's, it's an interesting challenge. I struggle with the fact that loving someone—if you're like me—loving someone might mean that I'm condoning their belief or their behavior. You struggle with that? If I show love and care to someone who I am completely opposed to the behavior that they're in or doing, or or what they believe, that somehow I'm going to condone that and other people are going to oh they must be heading down that direction too or something and I struggle with that perhaps you do too I struggle with being friends for the sake of being friends and not for the purpose of saving them right and it's like oh boy you got to watch and again the story where Jesus he's like he he cleansed all 10 lepers even though it appears only one of them actually carried on and showed appreciation and maybe carried on in their faith with Jesus. Again, that's conditional love, right? Am I friends with you because eventually you're going to believe what I believe? Am I going to invest in friendships that, you know what, maybe they'll never believe what I believe? And that's, that's, that's an interesting challenge to think through. And there's countless stories of people that are disillusioned with the church who experience something in relating to the church, which is us, the people, that was very different than what Jesus modeled in his approach. And I've contributed to that too. And I find me that I fixate on behavior. I fixate on, 
on how someone behaves and those kind of things, and I allow that to prohibit me from evangelism. And so I don't find myself being with people who behave and are completely different from me. It's uncomfortable. But if that happens, then I'm now not talking to them. I'm not sharing with them. I'm not exposing them to my life and my story. And so we have this, I think, observed evangelism order that I think I've been a part of, I think the church has been a part of for a long time. And for the above reasons, we get caught in this what's called a behavior challenge. We get so focused on behavior that there's this challenge. We seem to require people to behave a certain way and then we hope, and then we can accept them, you know, you can be, behave. And then we'll, then we, um, hope they will believe a certain thing. And then once they are behaving a certain way, and once they're believing a certain way, now we can be friends. And they can belong. And I go, ooh. That's, that's a challenge. And this, this just speaks into this selfishness and, I like what I like, and I like you to like what I like, and now it just it's it's easier that way. If you would just behave a certain way, and maybe maybe you've said those things or you've thought those things, I would sure like put someone's name in there much more. I would be much more caring or much more concerned for them if they behaved a certain way. And then when they're behaving a certain way, now it's more comfortable to be around them, and now I can talk to them about Jesus and talk to them about what I believe and talk to them about their faith. And then, when that progresses to a certain point, now you're a part of my life and my circle and my friendship and whatever. Right? And if we don't kind of see that happen, we then maybe don't ever get to that point. Like, well, and that's a challenge. It's a challenge. And I'm not talking, when I talk about belong here, just to set, I'm not talking about church membership. I'm not talking about that kind of stuff. I'm just talking about are relationships with people that are don't know the Lord, that need the Lord. Now, if we look at Jesus, perhaps there's a different order that should be occurring here. Perhaps when we look at these stories, we see a different order that actually starts with belonging, loving and caring and accepting and respecting all of those things. We can think of all the different things that we that of people around us. And it's not it's not conditional on on, on how they behave. It's not conditional on what they believe. We just respect and care and love people. And they're radically different from us. And that's very difficult, to be sure. But if we start to see people loved and cared for and respected and, and belong and are part of our circle, now, now we can start to share our life with them. And hopefully they mutually respect and care and love us enough to hear about our life story and the things that we believe, and perhaps they will start to believe the things that we believe. And that's the next, the next step. And it's only, <laughs> uh, it's only after 
we believe in something, that we're going to conform our behavior centered around those beliefs. And so now behaviors at the other end. And I think for for a long time we've got these two belief sorry belong and behavior flipped. And we need to look at how Jesus interacted with those who were not like him, didn't believe well in him or believe what we believe and see that. And there's a number of different uh, a number of uh, reasons why this is very difficult. We'll have to change our approach when we approach people with a different frame of reference. We can't minister to people the way that we want to be ministered to because they're not like us. They're from a completely different frame of reference and understanding, and that's everything from words to situations and so on. And I I got a glimpse into this. uh, Years ago, I got invited to Rotary, and if you're a Rotarian, bless you, that's great, you're... That's great, you're helping the community. But I went to a Rotary meeting, and they asked me to come and speak and share about Mediba. And so I showed up there, and all of these things started happening that were very strange. And if you've ever been a Rotarian or been to Rotary, it was incredible. They have a, uh, they have a number of different things that they do from, you know, they wear these things, and they got a gavel, and they stand up at certain times and say things and sit down. And, and I'm kind of watching all this happening, and I, 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 I'm just like, where am I? Like it's it's really I mean they're lovely people but they got all these rituals that they do that I was not familiar with and I think the Lord put it on my heart and He said aha what happens when someone who has never been to church before comes to church for the first time a lot of weird stuff here because I have no sense of this especially if we're doing communion what's going on. What do you mean they're eating and drinking Jesus? What are you talking about? Like, so we start to realize that if this is true, one of the difficulties is we have to radically change our thinking about how we minister to people because they are very different from us. And so the old, hey, invite your neighbor who has no idea what church is or, and perhaps if you've had a relationship with them and you've been... Perhaps the time is to come to church. But if your sole evangelistic ministry is a brand new person you just met and you're bringing them to church and they have no background to that, I'm not sure that's a very good way to do it. Because they're just going to be like, what? So how do we, right? And one of the main reasons why we do the ministry we do is that we're reaching people that are not going to church yet. They're not going to go to church yet. And we have an opportunity to reach them in an environment that's not like this. And this is lovely for us, but it's not like this. And we have an opportunity to have them belong to a community. In most cases, kids belong to a community for a week in summer camp that they've never experienced anywhere in their life. They have a family who eats every meal together, who has two adults who care and love them for a week And they're the most important things in their life for a week. And they have sleepover every night. (laughs) And it's amazing for them to feel and belong to that. And it doesn't matter what their background is. we got kids that come from different religions. we got kids that come, have never heard of God, have no idea who Jesus is. Uh, We were doing some teaching about the Christmas story last year and had a little camper come and said, I never heard this story before. 
No idea. Christmas was for or about or who Jesus was. Kids have never heard the creation story. Right? But they come and they're a part of a community. They belong to something. And it's incredible. But you have to change our approach. Another reason it's difficult is that we're selfish and we're more comfortable with those who are like us. We like what we like. And so there's a bit of this getting out of our comfort zone piece that's difficult. As I mentioned already, we feel like if we're condoning the behaviors, or sorry, we feel like we are condoning the behaviors when we extend love and care to those who are different from us. And we may appear to others like we're slipping or compromising spiritually in our truths because of our approach or associations. And I wonder if Jesus had that problem. You know, years ago, I don't know how many years, we, uh, we changed our, we, used, we are still Mediba Bible Camp Incorporated. That's our, that's our, we took Bible out of our trade name or whatever, and a lot of people had a challenge with that. And, and there are still times where we have to have conversations with people and say, we're, <laughs> to be sure, we're, we're all about the Bible. But I don't want my name or our name to be something that immediately before anybody will ever look any further or consider sending their kids to our organization, that all of a sudden they're like, oh, well, this is my frame of reference of the Bible or someone that I knew who had a Bible and what that means, that forget it. Forget it. And so there's some real challenges, and and that was a hard decision or one of the decisions that we had to work through because if we're going to reach people that have no idea what a Bible is or Bible is negative to them, how do we have to change in order for that to happen? When we're not changing what we believe, but presentation starts to change, perhaps. The how, not the what. And it was a challenge. It's a challenge, and it still is. And we have these discussions all the time. How do we reach this culture, but not be of the culture, but we got to somehow get into the culture, and how do you draw those lines, and, and how do you make that work, and oh, it's difficult, it's messy. It'd be far easier not to do it, but we do. And can we minister to people? Can we be friends with people who are culturally, demographically, religiously, and behaviorally different than we are? Can they belong in our circle? It's messy. Back to Jesus, just to kind of hit home this. When we see these stories of Jesus, we see at the beginning of these stories a love and a care and a respect for the person. The belong was first. Then we see in the stories that he talked about belief. That was, that was part of the stories. We don't see that in every story, but we can assume in some and we see it clearly in others. That, that dealing with belief was second. Jesus first had a, an interaction and a relationship or something that, that started that, that the person was at a point where they would want to hear to the point that in some of our stories they're asking, tell me more, I don't understand this. You've shown such care and such love and such compassion towards me. What are you about? What do you believe? And then we see a proper response to God's grace. And we talked about this last week in Galatians is how we behave. And that's third. As I have beliefs, it's third. So belong, believe, behave. And here's the challenge because this is unconditional love, which is, well, 
When you think about zero conditions to love someone, that's pretty hard to do. But it's not with, we're not without the power in that approach. And, and this is the other thing why we got to get this order right. Because once we believe, once someone believes, now we have the Holy Spirit that helps us in our behavior. Right? And, and, and all of a sudden we're conforming, you know, who we are and what we do and what are, what's important to us is now conforming and the Holy Spirit's helping with that. And we have this conversation all the time. Because we get, we get it, you get into the, the behavior. We start to judge people by behavior. And, I, and I've had the conversation with different people different times where it's like, well, do they, are, they, are they saved? Oh, I don't, I don't think so. So then why are we expecting this behavior? Or if they're not saved, man, they're going to really struggle to try and do all the right things if they don't have the Holy Spirit helping them. I, I can't do it. Not on my own. And so if we don't get that belief before behavior... We don't get the Holy Spirit to help us in, the, in, in our response to God's grace. It's just going to be really difficult. And so we've got to get this order proper. And that's important. And the Holy Spirit will help to change our perspective. Certainly that's the first thing. Hopefully will help us to be okay or at least to be willing to live in the uncomfortable and to help us practically love and care for someone despite their behavior and their belief at this time. And so that's some things I wanted to share with you this morning in terms of some of the ministry challenges that, that we deal with and work through. And perhaps it's a challenge for you in terms of who and how you relate to others and come alongside others in order to impact this world for the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you for... Uh, again, your word. Thank you for the Lord Jesus who shows us these paradigm-shifting thoughts and ideas, uh, certainly different from his culture of that day, uh, and Father, really in many ways different from my natural desires and inclinations. And so, Father, we just pray for, uh, just for us to have a sense of this in our minds, a willingness to just want to look out from beyond our comfort zone, beyond what we know and understand and, Father, try to reach out to others. Father, being respectful and caring about that to the point that we will consider the other's frame of reference. Father, we will not go into these relationships for the sole reason to change them, but, Father, to come alongside them and to love and to care for them, just as we saw you do that. And, Father, we pray and hope that those relationships will be fruitful in the, in the way of faith and and, Father, ultimately, just keep us focused on, on what matters and in the order that it matters. And we can commit that to you this morning, and thank you for your word again. In Jesus' name, amen.